Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Pounding the Table. You might notice it's not Avi introing us this week. Well, that's because Avi's probably off at another bachelor party or wedding or something that makes him not available for this podcast. So today we've got Riley McAdams and Luca, the kid, here with me today. So what's up, guys? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Ready to be back on another episode. I think this is three in the last four episodes, so turn into a regular. Moving up in the world, Riley. <laughs> what's going on? I'm uh, glad to be here, actually. First uh, appearance here on the Pound on the Table pod, so I'm ready. To wow. Work. I didn't even notice that. It's a big day. Yeah, it is a big day, but, you know, it's also a uh, complicated and volatile market, so it should make for an entertaining time. Oh, man. Yeah, we've got a lot to cover today. As always, we want to start off with our sponsor, StockTwits, and go over their trending tickers of the week. So StockTwits is an awesome place where you can go and check out the thriving financial community online, where it's very much so just focused on the companies, what they do, and what everyone thinks about them. So definitely go over to StockTwits.com and check out um, these trending tickers. Every week, we actually get to talk about them just to see what most people are talking about. So that could either help you just decide what to look at, you know, what everyone's watching in terms of maybe there's some big news on a company. That's why it became a trending ticker. So just starting off here, we've got SPY as the number one top trending ticker. Not surprising here because when the markets are really volatile, we definitely get to see that the indices are talked about the most, right? Like SPY is over here holding at 4,200. Definitely a bear season and a lot of chop chop pain going on here. What do you guys think about it? I think that spy is just in free fall at this point. 420 now looking like it's going right back to 400. And if it loses 400, oh boy, it's not looking pretty. I know Luca probably agrees a little bit, but I mean, man, this is not, not looking good. Definitely not the place to be. Yeah, it's looking pretty nasty. You know, I look at the technicals here and what I see is I see since really this downtrend started, I see SPY continually rejecting roughly the 21 EMA. I see the 50 SMA cr- about to cross down through the 200 SMA. So that's definitely not a net positive. I see the 50 SMA has crossed down and broken through the 100 SMA. I mean, these are all very bearish signals to me. So I feel like if, if we do take out that low that we most recently made, um, I think, you know, we just have more potential to get even nastier. So like I look at SPY, um, and I see, you know, it's it's really just continual downtrend. Every technical signal to me is negative. And I think you just kind of just got to play it patiently until we finally start to get some turnaround. Definitely. And I mean, like we're looking over here, like I'm just checking out like on TrendSpider, these uh, volume by price profiles, which are really cool because it shows you all the volume traded at certain range in prices. So it breaks it up by bar charge on the right side of the graph. And like if you check my Twitter, a lot of the charts I post they almost all have this just because I find it to be a really important indicator. Cause if you think about the bigger, the bar for the volume, that's going to be either the most support or resistance. And there's re- it's really, really, really thin all the way down to 300 on SPY. And like, I'm not going to be over here doomsdaying and everything, but I will say, you know, if the market does want to have one of those, you know, fallout kind of like limit down days, it, it, it's not out of the question. However, you know, I think that we've had so many different events just come and hit the market from the Fed, which is just a big black box of shit right now, 
we've got Russia obviously adding fuel to the fire, oil going to 130, and obviously making everyone freak out more about inflation, which is already bad. And I know you were saying earlier, uh, both of you guys, that like GDP just got you know, revised down for from most of the big banks. And so like, it's kind of in this zone where it's hard for, you know, if we don't have a super strong economy, raising rates is not the easiest thing to do. But then also we have such crazy inflation, which means that we have to. And then we have like all these like uncertain events. We've got the Russia conflict right now, which even though they're talking this and that, like it's still not great news. And it's definitely spilling over more to supply chain constraints and now oil being so crazy high. And even though it did come down quite a bit, I mean, it's just not the easiest place to navigate through. I, I think, you know, obviously it would have been much better if the Fed had raised 25 bips at least like a few months ago, but we are where we are. And another one of the stock twits uh, trending tickers is RUS. So that's Russian stonks. And those have been getting yoinked uh, from the public markets. So it's kind of like this uh, very much so geopolitical issue where you're seeing like, you know, Chinese equities crash like crazy, Russian equities get delisted and crash like crazy, and everyone's sanctioning. All these American companies are sanctioning um, business and, you know, Instagram just sanctioned like uh, Russia the other day. And so if you really think about this, this globalized economy that we have, that's kind of becoming more and more, uh, I guess, isolated in certain like factions and sectors. It's kind of crazy to think that, you know, we have all this inflation, we have all these supply chain issues, and it's just being now divided, not just economically, and not just like based on resources, but also just based on different countries trying to make their plays in this time of weakness, which obviously is like the most strategic time for them to be doing this. Um, so it's pretty wild times. Uh, I will say like, obviously, you know, you see the market continuing to go down. And it's, it's very, very hard for the market to go up without some type of tangible news kind of fixing it. So whether that be, hey, like the war in the Ukraine with Russia has been, you know, ended or hey, like Fed's going to start raising rates or there's going to be some type of policy that's going to make it look like we're not just going to go into some really horrible stagflationary period. And so, you know, I'm not exactly sure what news will be the first one to make all this horrible news start to get better. But I don't think that anything is going to be able to have this tangible change until that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the things going on with Russia's, I mean, we saw on Wednesday this week, I think uh, we were saying, oh, Putin's, you know, starting to turn over. He's uh, saying, oh, he wants to stop the war. They're talking with the Ukrainian president and we rallied three, four percent in one day. Seemed like, oh, that was the bottom. That was the bottom. And then two days later, we're basically on our way back down to the lows there. Like nothing, basically just shaking it off. So, I mean, you just don't know. We need something much, much bigger probably than just the war stopping at this point. I mean, right. there's there's really nothing that we can do about it other than hope that other macro news is is more bullish. I think we had the uh, CPI was about average, but I mean, we mm -hmm. just need something much, much bigger. And yeah, and another thing here, just like on the StockTwits uh, trending tickers here, you can see like very clearly that the ones that are talked about the most right now, besides just some news, are definitely just related to this macro environment right now. We've got XLE, which is energy, still going absolutely nuts. And you saw a bunch of solar companies explode up as well, just because, you know, oil going up so much and these solar companies realize that, you know, if that's super expensive, then they have, you know, they can benefit from it being so expensive. Um, but I, I think that might be a short lived bounce and, and right, like as energy, like as oil in general and, and commodities, like gold and other things and, and 
I don't know. I, uranium is another one because I'm actually still pretty bullish on uranium, considering that like you know all this geopolitical conflict. You can think about it in that way. But a lot of these commodities have obviously stretched super high, and inflation is definitely a big reason for that. And then obviously war as well. So I think until you start seeing like commodities and the dollar like stabilize in their respective rights, you're going to continue to get this like inflationary like squeeze that everyone's thinking in their heads, despite CPI coming in at estimates. So. Those are definitely things to consider. And then you've also got Bitcoin on here as one of the highest trending. Uh, and that's probably because of Biden's executive order, like clarifying its position towards regulation. However, I will say like crypto is held up better than every other growth risk asset class. And it's definitely something to note. And so people are very, very, um, I guess a lot, I mean, crypto is a very divisive space. So it's important to note regardless that because there's like way less liquidity in crypto, and it was just like this thing I've mentioned on the pod a long time ago, like Mercado Libre leads a lot of growth just because it's much less liquid. And so like you can see moves in certain stocks before they happen in other stocks that are way bigger and harder to move, but even in the same space. So, you know, you've got Bitcoin and ETH holding up pretty nicely. And I, and I obviously once those start to run, that just means risk on can come back. And so I, I'm still continuously looking at ETH specifically to see when people are going to start being a little bit more risk on and it is coming up to a bullish pennant. Um, so yeah, and then also if you guys want to cover the uh, the stocks at the bottom here, the, the trending tickers, I know you guys are just mentioning them right before we got on the pod. Yeah, I mean, Rivian, Rivian had uh, quite the drop there. DocuSign, also quite the drops. Stitch Fix, no bitter insight. Oracle, I mean, Oracle's Oracle down a little bit. Bumble was up about 50% the other day. Pretty crazy seeing that in the bear market. Wouldn't be surprised if that's pretty short. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs yeah, love everyone, in the bear everyone's market. looking for love. <laughs> and then you got Asana down. I saw Asana's had three days in a row, or not in a row, but three days in the last two quarters with 25% uh, drops. And yet they're still not even at the all-time low. So yeah. just to show how inflated they were. What's crazy is the CEO of Asana just buying like fit, hand over fist at like the highs. So, yeah, I mean, his, his, he did his, show his, confidence, but my gosh, like down back. I think his net worth's higher than Asana's market cap at this point. So I mean, it's pretty, pretty crazy <laughs> to see someone just regardless of whatever day it is, he's buying any, any tough, day, basically. Tough times. Yeah. So Luca, I know you're talking about the Amazon split and like we mentioned this on the pod just because the new, uh, management and you know bezos never wanted to do that when he was uh you know running things there but we have this new management coming through and you know you wanted to talk about amazon apple berkshire so uh let's hear it yeah so you know you really look at what amazon was doing prior to all of this prior to this most recent news this 24-month split and this buyback plan and really it's just been chopping i mean on a, on a technical basis it was pretty undesirable um, for quite a while. I mean, you go all the way back to July of 2020. And since then, it chopped within a range roughly between 3,500 all the way down right right around to 3,000. It did blow past 3,500 twice, making that high around 3,700. But aside from that, it was pretty much range bound. And then we start to see this downturn, Amazon getting smoked. Um, and then all of a sudden this news comes out. In this news of a 24-1 split, I think is really, you know, it is bullish. You look at the analytics behind equities performance post-split, and I believe it was after 12 months, you know, that performance is pretty darn solid. It's in the double digits to the upside. So I really think that might have been some motivation behind this split. 
for Amazon, but also to me, the more important thing was the buyback. Um, you go back and you look at what this buyback is, and I believe it's a $10 billion buyback. So a $10 billion buyback, I think that's big. Um, I think that's much more important than the split. You know, at the end of the day, those buybacks are going to gradually um, be a net positive when it comes to performance to the upside. They're going to motivate upside performance. So that's what I like to see. Um, you know, Apple's had a track record of buying back stock as well. And that has obviously mm -hmm. um, it definitely uh, motivated upside performance in Apple as well. So I, I look at these FANG names and many people know, if you look at my holdings, my core holdings are in the Apple, the Amazons of the world. They're in those FANG names because that's what I build the foundation of my portfolio with. So I've maintained those names and I'm still, you know, pretty darn confident in those. So as an investor in Amazon, you know, I do have a position and I'm, I'm, I have to say that because I'm going to talk it up here somewhat. Um, but I like this 24-1 split. I think it's going to allow um, mm -hmm. some more retail investors to hop in. I think it's going to motivate some upside price action. And behind that is that $10 billion buyback. And I think that's a huge positive. Um, you know, and then you brought up Berkshire. So really my question was, and I posed this to you guys, we were just kind of discussing, you look at Berkshire and they have an immense amount of capital allocated in Apple. And simultaneously, we've been seeing Berkshire over the past few weeks move to the upside. Meanwhile, Apple has been moving to the downside. So I find that very interesting that a fund can have so much wrapped up in the one equity and that one equity is about to actually give us some pretty bearish signals. You know, a breakdown of the 200 SMA is pretty much there. You take a look at Apple's daily chart and that 200 SMA is roughly 153. Apple closed at 154.73 yesterday. So to me, you know, I look at Berkshire and it's not all too attractive to me as it's moving to the upside. I'd rather, if I'm a longer term investor here, start picking up Apple. So those are really my thoughts. You know, I, I think, the news out of Amazon was positive, and I think the news um, really overall could shift sediment in the near term. Long term, I think it's just adding to those net positives. I'd also like to know Amazon actually disclosed that they had acquired a smaller name earlier in the week. So they actually, if you go back and look at this news, Amazon bought Vico all the way back in November, but it was never disclosed to investors um, and then they actually announced that on Monday. So it kind of seems to me almost as if this week they were trying to get out some of that, you know, positive PR. They're trying to kind of shift some sediment. Um, who knows? Uh, but I found that also interesting. So those are really my thoughts when it comes to Amazon and Apple. I like that. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, comparing that to, to Apple for Amazon split. Like, I think one of the reasons why Apple's become this you know, huge component in both the S&P and the NASDAQ is continued buybacks, you know, and, and they still have all this cash. And so I wonder, like, you know, which of these companies will be like, hey, we're going to buy some of these companies that will integrate really, really well with us and just crush it. Like, I, I think that there's so many companies on a really good sale right now that I think a lot of these companies with a ton of cash could take and just really just exponentially compound their own other businesses. And so we'll have to see. I think, you know, Buffett, example is just he's very very slow to buy things i think we were having the same conversation in the covid crash like oh what's buffett going to be buying in here and he, you know it was much less than we expected with all those cash reserves and i will say like him having so much in apple has done super well for him 
but you know, once again, I do believe that the components that make up the NASDAQ, right? Like those five or six stocks that are over 50% of the NASDAQ make the NASDAQ not really a telling indicator for general health in the market. Cause like you look at growth names and you, and you look at the general like IWO or uh, ARC or whatever it is. And you notice that, you know, we're 270 days excluding weekends from the peak of that back in February. So it's definitely, you know, it's, analogous to 2001 genuinely and something that i honestly did not expect to go to that level however right like we're we are always learning and i just did not expect 270 days of a similar identical move i mean like i'm looking at this chart now nasdaq and arc from their march 2000 slash february 2021 highs and it's gotten to the point right here where it the next move where if it were to completely follow as it's been this 2001 like move is you get a 41% bump over the next 33 trading days, which is about a month and a half. And then after that, you get a subsequent negative 38% drop over the next 81 trading days, which is about four months. And then from there, things stabilize. So are we in this for another five or six months where we get this short-term pop and then you know that back down lower and then we can start trading back up? I mean, who knows? But ARC obviously is back to pre-COVID levels. Many of these companies, even though they've grown their revenues and their EPS five, six, 10 times, whatever during COVID, it doesn't matter because the market's just completely risk off taking any of these companies that are trading. And even if they've done really well in their revenues, like we were talking about Coinbase beating estimates by like 25% when they were expected to be flat for three years and going lower. So that's just the market that you have right now. Um, when will that change? I mean, we'll have to wait and see for like some tangible news. As I've been saying, like since like the November pod, when I was like, this is going to be bearish after the Fed said what they said, you know, I don't know that I did not expect it to be so bearish so fast, but I did expect, you know, like those charts I was posting like on net and NVIDIA and like all the other, like where literally, where do you think these are going? They went there. So now what, like now what's it going to take for them to start bouncing? And you look at like, we were just kind of being nerds earlier going over Coifin and just like really digging into companies like you've got some really good companies doing really good things like even like I know uh Riley was super bullish on Airbnb and I like I was looking at the Coinbase you know future sales EBITDA EPS as well and C Limiteds and a bunch of other great companies that I think are still you know quite great for the long term that have just been repriced differently it's very 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 telling of this environment so if you know only a few companies can go up like CrowdStrike or whatever, what have you, just a few of them are going up. I mean, those are the ones that you definitely want to keep an eye on for the next bull run, because if you're holding and you have relative strength now, you're going to be doing really well in a better environment because we're worried about liquidity now. And you can see that in every other name because there's just no bids. And the ones that do have bids you know, they buck the trend of liquidity, which means that when liquidity comes back, they'll be flooding first into names like CrowdStrike. Yeah. And like you were saying, like some of the names that have the actual momentum right now are a lot to do with the oil names. I mean, that's basically, it's just oil, oil, oil. And at a certain point, yeah, they're going to make a lot of money in the next few quarters, but the demand for all the oil is going to severely drop. And then these companies are going to go right back down and go probably back where they were right before oil started to really start going right. up towards the hundreds. So I don't think a lot of people realize that. And those outflows got to find somewhere else to go. And that's probably when the what's nuts is that Arc, What's nuts is that ARC's had actually pretty significant inflows 
like for the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, which is very, very odd considering it's at a, at a low here. But I mean, you definitely are seeing the inflows, but you also have the inflows on, on all the oil companies, the energy companies. So you really don't know what's going to happen here. If, if Apple starts to go back down quite a bit, you're going to have a lot of outflows on that. I think they got 16 billion shares. So, I mean, just a 10 point move there, you're talking $160 billion in outflows that can go to mm-hmm. a lot of these other smaller companies which $160 billion is a lot when you're talking about these small five or less billion dollar uh, growth companies. So, I mean, there's definitely something to look forward to there if, if we can start to bounce quite a bit. 100% Riley, you know, it's really kind of crazy to me that we've got all these GDP estimates that are being lowered and, you know, you see this narrative where Putin is now to blame for inflation and the recession and like the war. And it's just like, you know, that, the media has a great ability to create narratives at whatever time that they want. And so it's been bad narrative after bad narrative after bad narrative. So, you know, the other side of get better to get better is get worse to get worse. And so we've definitely seen this get worse to get worse situation, but at some level in the next few months, right? Like I think that if the fed is able to start maneuvering into any type of like actual, you know, rate hiking or slight tightening, not purposeful tightening, but, you know, rolling off of certain things, buying a little less here and there, you know, that, that happened in Germany recently. Like, I think they raised rates and the market rocketed over there. But, you know, European equities have had their biggest outflow of all time, of history and, and ever, and by, by a big margin because of Russia. So you're seeing now geopolitical spell out all over the world while the world's already dealing with like post- monetary inflation like cracked out fed pumping cycle so it's a very 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 like particular predicament that we're gonna have to slowly maneuver through but it does not mean that like these companies are obviously dead forever i remember very well in 2018 there were many many companies that people were like oh this is dead nvidia being one of them right like some of these great companies that everyone loves now are the ones that died in 2018 and it was a very similar situation not to the same magnitude but history does rhyme it does not repeat so definitely something to consider and i mean i think that as long as this goes on right it's still you know you should always be doing research in the background looking at what names will be interesting to you the most and definitely noticing what's holding up in this environment so like isrg you know just one of those like core companies that we've always talked about just like not as much a growth name at all, more of like, and you know, it's, it's AI robotic surgeries and not, you know, non even, not even needing to have humans necessarily for most of these surgeries that humans can't do. So there's a lot of niche companies that are still holding up really well and doing well. Tesla's still holding up, NVIDIA is still holding up and Airbnb, honestly, surprisingly is holding up quite nicely. So there's a lot of names that like are showing their strength, even CrowdStrike, like for as much as everything else has gone down, CrowdStrike has held up very nicely. So, you know, there's always some diamonds in the rough, even though this is like a lot of rough and a few diamonds. Yeah. And, that, and then you got Roku that just has no buyer in sight whatsoever. A lot of these not a single things. one. Yeah. Not not a, no one wants to buy Roku now, even though it was 500, people were buying it at 500, 450, 400. Now it's at a hundred bucks and no one wants to buy it. So I mean, it's just, yeah. it's hard to tell. It's, it's unpredictable. I don't think anyone, anyone that was buying Roku a year ago, a year and a half ago, if you told them that it's at a hundred bucks right now, they'd be laughing at you. I mean, it's just unpredictable. Yeah, I fully agree. So 
I what I always like to do, and like I'm I'm always a guy that gets asked to so Tony. So I'm gonna ask you, so uh, Riley, so Luca, uh, what do you guys think about uh, Chinese stocks recently? I mean, they've been just decimated in the last couple weeks, and uh, you know, K Web. I know you guys were talking about that earlier. So if you guys want to touch on that, uh, be great. I think. Yeah. No. I mean, I think I think we're at some of the. Uh, it's hard to explain, but I would just say that we're getting close to capitulation on these Chinese stocks, at least in the short term. K-Web's at a decade low, decade low, not a yearly low, decade low. It's essentially wiped out all the gains over the last 10 years. You have Baba, who has a very, very low forward PE ratio. It's like two right now. I mean, you're mm -hmm. talking some of the cheapest names on the market here. And in the recent fall, actually, for the U.S.-based or the, the Chinese names that are u.s listed they just had their uh basically the worst day since 2008 i think it was a 10 percent drop on k-web which is ridiculous mm -hmm. and and people were saying oh it's because of taiwan invasion fears and delisting fears well to me i don't see taiwan getting invaded anytime soon the u.s sent a destroyer through the through the channel there that that divides china and taiwan i mean china is not going to try and invade Taiwan based on some of the signals that the U.S. has given them. And during a, and everyone knows that uh, the Ukrainian president was, he's a hero now. And you have Putin who looks like an idiot. I think that China's, uh, you know, the state is smarter than that. They realize that if they do invade Taiwan, the whole world is going to put them on blast. It's just not a smart move. Not to mention for the delisting fears, you have a few small firms that now are basically set on probation. They're, they, they basically got a slap on the wrist and yeah, people are freaking out, delist them, delist them, delist them. They're not going to be delisted. De de and if they are, it's going to be the small firms. You have Neo, Baba, you have PDD, you have all these bigger firms, JD. You have these guys that they, they have the accounting, uh, like actual businesses that they, they use that are, you know, they, they comply with all the US SEC guidelines. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not breaking the rules. Luckin, on the other hand, yeah, okay, that was a fluke. And it really wasn't even that big. You're talking a $100 billion company like Bob, $150, $175, $200 billion company. Their accounting's fine. No one's going to delist Bob. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. So I think that big right stance, now- Big stance, Riley. Big stance. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing capitulation, and I'm glad. So right now, I'm buying Neo. I'm buying Baba. I want to buy these Chinese stocks down here. Wow. Maybe, you got maybe they go 5 10% lower, 20% <laughs> lower. But I think this can be a generational buy for what could be the strongest economy in the next decade or two. So and you've, that's always, my you've always been bullish on Neo. I mean, I'm definitely very worried about uh, like exposure to anything that's not in the U.S. Like, I mean, specifically something that's in that like Asia area. But I, I can see your points, right? Like, like if everything you know settles out with the world, and, and like those will be a very, very like big runner. I, I don't know if necessarily Bob. I think that there's a lot of like fears and stuff with Jack Ma, but I can see something like Neo or another company that you've done research on, like in China, doing snapping back as well with the entire growth market so one thing i definitely wanted to talk touch on is that like there are some companies that were super super overvalued that i like you know i've always been like shop i like the company thought it was super overvalued but like looking at it now like you know looking at 68 billion dollar market cap 10 times forward sales and you know what's important to know is that like their their ebitda is just growing quite nicely like 40 percent a year in the next like three years to 2024 and their EPS as well, like they're going from $3.5 EPS on average estimate for this year to 5.27 to eight. So, you know, seeing how like a lot of these companies have come back to appropriate valuations, like 
I'm not saying that it's definitely time to buy. I'm not over here calling bottoms, but I'm saying that like looking at the companies for what they are, like a lot of these, like shop was 500 pre COVID. And so post COVID and seeing how much it grew in that time period, right? Like there is some, you know, kind of, I guess, dealing with itself. It has to do just because it's become closer to like a lot of these names have become closer to value names. And that's kind of shocking to me considering they were like trading at many hundreds times PE and multiples, but like you're looking now and you're like, well, these are actually not as overvalued as honestly some thing. And so uh, what do you make of that guys? You know, you look at these growth names. So you look at your Shopify, you look at your uh, SE, you look at these names that have really, you know, come down to levels we haven't seen since that 2020 COVID crash, just annihilation. So these names are getting to technical levels where they're really attractive. And also they're getting to levels on a valuation basis that are also starting to look attractive. So I think right now, you know, personally, I'm not putting any capital to work yet because I'm one of those people. I always wait for confirmation on a technical basis before I jump in on a name. If I'm betting on upside or downside, I always want that confirmation. But I look at these names and I look at these growth names and these are fantastic companies we're talking about. You know, Shopify is a fantastic company. SE is a fantastic company. You want to have that list ready and there for when these names really get to the point where you just, you feel obligated to buy. Like just have that list, the best of breed, your top names that you want to jump on and go after them. You know, I have that list. Shopify's on my list. I'm still watching Shopify. Um, I don't think you want to go in blindly into these names whatsoever. You know, you want to use both technicals and fundamentals together, and that's going to give you the best positioning. So right now, I think these names are attractive. I think they can get more attractive. And that's really my view on them. You know, can Shopify, it's sitting at 544. Can the sucker go to 500? Possibly. We really don't know where the market is going to go from here until we start to get a little more certainty when it comes to what the Federal Reserve is going to do and what in the world is going to happen with the situation, you know, in Ukraine. It's just, it's a messy market right now. There's a lot of unclear situations. And in order to navigate that, I think you really just need to be patient. I think you need to find these names that you believe are trading on a valuation basis attractively and on a technical basis attractively. But until then, I think you just, I think you're patient, but I have that list. I think you want to have that list ready of those growth names that you really like that have traded down to levels we haven't seen and that you're confident will bounce back and have rock solid management teams. And Mm -hmm. I really think the name of the game right now. Yeah. And there's definitely some companies that have just like held up pretty nicely that, you know, despite being and not necessarily a growth name like one company i like to think of sometimes just besides isrg is like innovative industrial properties iipr right so they license a bunch of like weed uh facilities out and stuff and it's like basically a real estate investment trust for like grower facilities and and just it it combines basically like you know this emergent marijuana cannabis industry with real estate and like that, that whole REITs structure. And so they've actually held up pretty well. Like they were at like, you know, 280 or so down to like 180. And I mean, they pay a dividend as well. So it's definitely like an interesting thing to look at, like these companies that have held up super well, that are still like up many X's from like the COVID lows and such. 
and this just kind of like realizing why. So I think it's definitely important to start like structuring yourself in these different areas, just like in general, because, you know, and I think this is going to be a thing that like, if you're mostly invested in growth, it's something you want to do on the way up, right? Because the volatility that this will have, it could be up and down for many months and it likely will be. And so like the name of the game is like, as things rally, you know, you want to take a little bit of risk into things that are less risk. If you're, you know, starting to load back into risk recently. Um, so it's just something to always keep an eye on because a lot of ways to skin the cat in the market and, you know, just make sure that you're doing it to the best of your ability for your goals and your risks. So let's just switch over really quick. We've definitely talked about a lot of stuff and honestly, it's sick having you guys on and I kind of like being a host. So Avi might be out of a job. I'm just kidding. Avi. I hope you're having a good weekend, but, um, let's talk about some like really interesting news here that I don't know if many people have like heard of, uh, unless they're like already like in the crypto community, but Yuga Labs, uh, the creators of Board Ape Yacht Club, notably the best NFT that exists right now um, from just like a hype and presence on social media and in the world. Yuga Labs essentially bought out CryptoPunks and MeBits, their you know, subsequent collection. And so those are all housed under Yuga Labs now. And so what's really cool is that, you know, there's a big issue with CryptoPunks. And if you don't like crypto, you can turn it off now. Um, but Basically, CryptoPunks had no rights and no licensing to their own IP, right? So you couldn't have commercial rights. You couldn't make products from the image that you own, despite it being worth hundreds of thousands. And now you can. And, you know, there was also this, like, before CryptoPunks existed, there was a version right before called V1Punks. And that was basically the CryptoPunks that were the exact CryptoPunks that you see today, except they had a bug in their contract and there were you know, issues trading them, which has since been fixed and wrapped in a unique way. And there was a DMCA, which is basically like, you know, copyright, make like stop doing your thing. And now that's gone. So it's really interesting to see like Yuga Labs essentially start turning into the Disney of NFTs. So I want to hear what you guys think about that. I think it's a, it's a great move if I understand it correctly. I'm still, still trying to understand the whole crypto world, but to me, it seems like it's almost like Apple buying Microsoft, you know, just, the number one buying the number two out and just having all the IP that they have and being able to go forward with that. And I mean, for stock guys, I mean, that's something that would never be able to happen, but in the crypto world, it just happened. And so I think it's pretty interesting to see one company kind of consolidate all the big projects. I think that it might be a little worrying just to see one company essentially own a lot of the NFT space like that. And it's kind of the opposite of decentralization, but at the same time, they also have some really great IP and they could, like Tony said, is kind of turn into a Disney type thing where they can come out with, you know, toys, food, movies, TV shows, whatever it is using the IP that they have. And then they go out and buy more IP, more IP, more IP. So I don't know. I think it's a good move. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is big. I think this is not only big for Yuga Labs, but I think it's also big for the space. So this, for instance, was roughly a $30 million deal from what I understand. And you look at the crypto space, you look at the NFT space, and I think it has so much potential. There's, there's too much potential to ignore. And really for me, the more I get into the space, I, I have really made the goal to understand the technology behind this, this blockchain technology, and then move into the individual deals and the art and all of, all of the other factors that surround the NFT market and all the other factors that surround cryptocurrency. And for me, a key point is the adoption that we are continually seeing. 
So I'm, I'm going to open this up more broadly here is you are seeing a lot of money continually go into the NFT space and into more broadly the cryptocurrency space. I mean, last year alone, there was over $30 billion in venture capital that went into the crypto space. And I think this year, you know, who knows what happens, but I don't think that that flow is going to be turned off like a spigot. I think you're going to keep on seeing this capital flow and move into this space. And, you know, we were mentioning in an earlier conversation that the smartest people around are going into the NFT industry. The smartest people around are going into DeFi. The smartest people around are going into these new technologies and the potentials there. And not only are the smartest people going there, but some of the biggest companies around are starting to jump in on this. I mean, for the past six, seven, eight months, we have seen headlines out of countless mega cap companies going into the NFT space, going into the crypto space in some manner. While it may be small, they're still moving in um, to this space. They're still moving into these new industries. And I think there's too much potential to ignore. I think this deal, $30 million is just another example of further adoption. It goes to show not only further adoption, really, in my opinion, but it also goes to show um, just how large this space is getting. And I think you can't ignore it at this point. If you're a normal investor, if you're just trading in and out of individual equities, um, I think you really need to be more open-minded. And we've mentioned that, that people are getting closed-minded on this. And I don't think you want to be closed-minded on this because I do know one thing. When the smartest people and the wealthiest people around are jumping in on an industry and they're dumping in you know, into these investments with billions of dollars, they're likely not wrong. They can be. There's always potential for them to be wrong. But typically, when you see this sort of adoption, when you see this sort of capital moving into an industry, it has a bright future. I think it has a bright future, um, just like the internet had a bright future all those years ago. So this, I honestly think, is just another example of an industry that has so much potential going ahead. Staying on the NFT space, I know that... Uh... I think it was the NASDAQ exchange or, uh, or New York stock exchange. One of them had a patent or a trademark for an NFT exchange. I don't think we got your thoughts on that, Tony, because you missed that day when me and Avi were on it. What do you think of that whole trademark or whatever it was? Yeah. I know you read into that. That's huge. I, in my, in my opinion, like, I think that just knowing like, and it's to touch on what Luca said, and we call him Luca because kid just shoots threes and lays up like a beast. But uh, <laughs> I mean, looking at, the amount of VC money going into a space. And you need to also just like contextualize what that means, right? Like most VCs have locks for X amount of years, right? So if you're pouring in 10 billion, which is like, I think what happened last month, like, and then it, the month before it was six and the month before it was 4 billion, those are locked up for at least two to four years. And so you're not buying that for a quick flip. You're not investing in those companies for a quick flip. So you already expect and, and most VCs in their heads, and like I've been talking with a lot of VCs recently, just on the side doing deals and whatnot. But basically, those companies, those VCs are looking for a 10 plus bagger, right? And they're looking to take benefits of getting into companies under a sub $50 million valuation to get that first $10 million exit tax-free and being able to be in a company that's like, near inception that they know can go five or 10 X and then they can get out, which is what most people do, right? Like some of them will hold on longer term, but the point is 
this amount of money that flowed in will continue to flow in for the next four years, right? Because what happens is you fund this first round and then you fund the next round and you fund the next round and each round gets vested at that much longer, right? Until they go public, if they do, which I don't know how, I don't know how crypto companies will go public. I think it's going to be ICOs and IDOs, but once again, like, I don't know how the vesting for tokenomics are going to work there. But the point is you've got multiple years of people who will have different funding rounds, which will be higher and higher valuations from the initial funding rounds. So there is no doubt in my mind that the sector is going to blow up in the next two to four years. I'm not saying like NFTs, I'm not saying just DeFi. I'm saying in general blockchain, right? Like it's going to be integrated into almost everything. Like you look at Shopify, they're already doing it. Shopify's P5, uh, profile picture, the doodle. You look at like almost like any of these companies that are like the big way, like, yeah, Facebook with Meta, Facebook's a specific thing because, you know, a lot of the guys who are big into crypto don't necessarily like Facebook because it's like really much the antithesis of like this decentralized free speech kind of thing. And Facebook's like basically just limiting your speech on everything because you can't talk about it. same reason why Avi gets bit on Twitter. And uh, so that kind of stuff is just going to continue to happen. But I think that if you look at the actual funding from people way richer than all of us, they're throwing many, many racks into these companies. And so I want people to focus on the tech and not the cartoon. And the cartoon, you could just think of it as like the key, the entry box to that network or whatever. And it's not always that, right? Like there are companies that are providing new services, right? Like you can get loans, you can do, you can be your own private bank and lend. And so it's pretty much anything that's going on in fintech and a lot of the things that are going on in web two, like, you know, like the cloud flares, the crowd strikes, like a lot of those companies will be innovated on and they'll come out and be, you know, higher TPS and faster and cheaper and better solutions in some way. And they'll either get bought out by the companies that already exist or those companies that already exist will integrate that technology into what they do and then crush it even harder. So I think in order for you to understand how large this is, you need to know that like some of the biggest VCs in the world are trying to get into Board Apes or Yuga Labs. And this was before they did the CryptoPunks acquisition at a $5 billion valuation. So those guys are not in it for the short term either. And those guys don't have they didn't get to where they're being by being right and listening to fintwit takes of guys who wanted to just circle jerk off EPS. And so it's definitely important to think that like there are new waves coming and there are going to be new waves coming forever. Like I think a lot of the people who love Tesla today and who love Google today would not have loved Google when they started out or would not have loved Amazon when they were Cadabra selling books out of a basement. And so you really need to understand that like, yeah, it's easy to say that Google is a good company today. It's easy to say that Tesla is a good company today. It's easy to say that Apple is a good company today. But I remember when Apple was like going to be dead, like in, in like 2013 or 2014, like I remember being in college and people were like, oh, is Apple going to make it? They're not innovating. Steve Jobs died. There are so many things that people forget and they just take it as a status quo today. And you're looking at these companies and you're saying, well, Apple's two, billion, two trillion, super good, super safe. Yeah, fine. I don't disagree. Google's same, Tesla's same. But like, that's not to say that things that are just now innovative and less safe are not going to be strategically good investments for a small percentage of your portfolio in general. Like, I think it's very important to understand that these companies that you call the grails today, that you think that you're like a beast investor for investing in, and not that you're not, but there are new ones that come every day. And to think that they're not, and to think that like this most innovative controversial wave is not going to be big is actually just egocentric and very like very egotistical and narcissistic because knowing that there's going to be something next is the only reason why anyone keeps doing anything. And so to say that things are set in stone in the way they are relegates society to just average. And I don't like to live that style. And so I know for a fact that this is going to be one of the biggest industry shifts of all time. 
And I know that a lot of people are put off because of like a lot of bad things that are happening in this space. Like a lot of these projects are just pump and dumps. And a lot of these things are just people, all these tokens are BS. A lot of them are honeypots and scams and everything. But the underlying tech that's actually making moves is pretty incredible. And it's giving everyone the ability to do everything that happened in web two by themselves. And to not assume that people naturally want freedom to do everything they want goes against the idea that the free market should exist, goes against capitalism. And that's exactly the reason why stocks do well in the first place. So it's very contradictory in, in overall. And then, you know, I think a lot of people are very bullish on Ethereum and knowing that ETH only went to where it was because of people getting into NFTs and DeFi and such. And obviously the more transactions that a network has, the chain has, you burn gas, you burn, like, especially with EIP 5059 or 1559, which is basically like ETH burning mechanism. Like you've seen, a notable change in the way that cryptocurrencies run and the liquidity in them just because of all this investment and all these people who are now not just flipping it, but they're owning it and holding it and they're building off of it. So, I mean, that's why I've been always super bullish on AVAX. They do almost as many transactions as Ethereum, super bullish on Luna, just because Luna's ecosystem is just getting started. And they have probably one of the best stable coin situations going on because you have to, in order to go and stake UST and it's really crazy like thinking about the last few months and just even the last week like a billion dollars of Luna was burned because people go and you burn Luna to swap into UST and UST is basically this like stable coin that yields a high APY and it's just part of the network so I really think that you know the space is just beginning and I think that if everybody around you including the New York Stock Exchange which your stocks sit upon are bullish on the space for whatever it might be, right? I'm not over here saying like cartoons or the grail, not at all. But I'm saying that the tech underneath everything is going to be huge. It's definitely in your interest to check it out. Wow, that was honestly an incredible explanation. I didn't know if you're going to get back to my original New York Stock Exchange uh, question there, but no, you killed that. I mean, is it is it possible that the New York Stock Exchange could kind of create a secondary market that all these crypto companies like uh, Lugo Labs can be listed on instead of the actual stock exchange. So is there like possibility maybe that that can happen or? Is I don't know. I mean, like I have this thought that like people don't want centralization, but here's the thing, like everything starts out decentralized. It gets big enough. You need orders to continue it. And then it gets centralized and then it becomes decentralized again because it gets too like too on the nose of like holding on to everything you're doing too fixed in your, like what your choices are less free. And then people break apart, the revolution happens, and then it gets decentralized. And then, you know, it builds back up and it gets to the point. There's always like a carrying capacity for decentralization. So I don't know which way this wants to go. I would love the, you know, a free market where you'd have basically stock exchanges where brokers don't run stuff and liquidity is by the providers, which are us. And then we're also the buyers, which is how a lot of this is already going. I think that most of these companies, if they went to go were to go public, they're not going to go public on the stock exchange, right? They're going to release tokens. They're going to have a governance token. They're going to have everyone be a decentralized owner and able to vote and decide versus like, I get like a whatever small percent of like, let's say I own Apple and I get my voting shares and like, I have no fucking right and no say. So I think that it's definitely a huge change. And like, I also would say like to the people who are thinking like, oh, this is dumb and stuff. Like, there are 15 year olds making like more money than most of us will ever see. So you can't really hate on that. You'd be jealous, but you can't really hate on that. Can't hate on it. That's just incredible. I mean, it, it really is. It's a crazy space. So we've been crushing it for a little while here. Uh, 
we're gonna have to send this to Avi to make sure he edits it like on his <laughs> beach or wherever he's doing right now. But I usually sign off, so I want to see if you guys got any good sign offs because uh, we're trying to change the game here. V two PTT. It's Luca's first time. I want to see a great sign. Luca, sign off for us, buddy. Well, I guess that's a wrap. I mean, that was a pretty killer uh, breakdown of not only the market, but crypto. So if you're still ignoring crypto, you better start reading the book. You better start watching some videos and maybe doing some research because you're ignoring an industry in which just has so much potential and the smartest people around are moving into it. But either way, that's it. That's pounding the table. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week. Um, until then, as I always say, easily profit and trade on. I'm level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big.